0: Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. Our mission is to help couples develop biblically healthy marriages through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. We desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast.
1: We've all been there and seen it. The parent berating their kids in the store. There's tears, often fiery words on one side, and whining, crying, and fiery words on the other side. You can picture the scene. It sounds cruel and harsh as you hurry by with your grocery cart in disbelief. That is, until it's you and your kids. It's been me. What parent couldn't confess? They've been so angry at the behavior of their kid, they're about to lose their marbles. As a result, their spouse slips into the role trying to protect their kids from their spouse's wrath in these heated moments. Some find themselves in a position where they don't trust themselves to even discipline their kids. They have denied their parental role without leaving their home. They believe the lie that stepping down as a dad who disciplines or a mom who asserts her authority in that home is better than showing the rage monster they become. Is it possible? to change a parent's heart from stepping back for the sake of protection into the parent who fulfills the role that God has given them. Many a frustrated parent live pressed between the fury of their uncontrollable emotions in the heat of the moment and the recurring consequences of an undisciplined child. And this creates a very special kind of friction in the marriage too. If you are spent on the kids tired of having nothing left for your marriage, We're glad you are here today. The God who called me his own, the one who made me a parent, is powerful enough to help me make necessary changes to be the parent I'm called to be.
2: Find out how you can be an ally to parents on mission for your God and the children he gave you. We'll talk about how to change the posture from being stuck to taking action putting our focus on the changes needed for us as adults and how that's going to trickle down into the lives of our kids in today's episode of vows to keep radio the show where you get sound biblical counsel you can apply immediately to your marriage we're your hosts david and tracy sellers of vows to keep we're biblical marriage counselors we're authors teachers radio hosts podcast hosts and conference speakers if you want to get back to being on fire for your spouse and for god you're definitely in the right place We all had parents. Some were active, some were absent, some were present but unengaged, some were passionate and giving, some were easily manipulated, and others ruled with an iron fist. One of the first problems we experience in marriage after we have kids is that the picture of being a parent has looked so different for each of us. The topic of discipline seems to be the most divisive aspect of parenting. How will we get two different people on the same page?
1: Through years of counseling, we've come to learn it's only by redefining what discipline means from the experience that we had as kids to instead being redefined by God's word. We also get on the same page by seeing that God is often working through discipline in our own life and in our own resistance to God's discipline, we have been ineffective parents. The scary thing is that often our spouse has the perfect view of the situation to see what's really happening in your life. They see where God's trying to force change and you do little more than cry out from the pain. They see where you fail as a parent and they're left to consider, are they going to be your ally or will they box you out as an enemy? This is where as parents, we are stuck. Stuck with these kids and their defiance. Stuck with this co-parent who's not doing their part. Rebellious behavior in our kids creates anger and frustration for us as parents we don't actually discipline biblically but rather we vent our kids feel our wrath they don't trust our words to be for their good but for our own they rebel even more and this cycle repeats over and over and over again both child and parent walking in sin The core issue most parents have isn't actually their kids, but it's each other. Before we cast the stone, could our challenges not be at the hand of our spouse or our kids? Could it be God who's letting frustration force us to see his point of view? Discipline to make changes in your life so that it would trickle down into the lives of your children.
2: We're going to spend a few minutes in Hebrews chapter 12 today, starting in verse 3. Consider him, that's Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. My Bible has the section heading, God disciplines his children here, starting in verse 4. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, it says. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Verse 7 goes on, Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of spirits and live they disciplined us for a little while as they thought best but god disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness in verse 11 no discipline seems pleasant at the time but painful later on however it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it
1: the book of hebrews can be a sobering read especially in light of some of the hardships that we experience in Christian living. The more easier life has been, I think the less you'll cherish what's contained in this book. But I'd say the opposite is also true. In fact, my favorite verse in the Bible comes from Hebrews. I'm not saying I've had a terrible life, but I've learned the more I have suffered, the more I draw from it. As Christian parents, I think it's normal for you to have a much better understanding of God's love for you after having kids, as opposed to before you did. It's also normal to experience the stress and suffering as parents that threatens the perseverance of our faith. We lose the will to press in hard. Hebrews is not a lighthearted read. This isn't a feel-good chapter about how to make the best of your troubles. It's not about how God's going to make the best of your troubles either. Instead, it's a powerful statement about the grace and sovereignty of God over the evil that entraps us as his people. In a word, it's about discipline. Only through the twenty twenty view of hindsight I see that God was training me through pain where I pushed back, and further discipline was actually required. In a prayer of silence, it's as if I'm demanding in the season of suffering that God would give a greater account of Himself. What are you doing, God? Where is your goodness? We're the one that takes on the role of that kid in the Isle of Walmart in need of discipline. While we're running out of control, vying for what we don't have, crying because we're suffering, we can see what we want right up close, but it's just out of reach. As I said, suffering isn't a new thing. In Hebrews 11 verses 35 through 38, we learn about Old Testament believers who were tortured. They were mocked. They were whipped. They were imprisoned. They were killed. And many of them were homeless. In Hebrews 12.1, we see the call for us to put off all these sins that weigh us down and go run a marathon of love and holiness, cheered on by believers who've gone before us. Verse 2 says, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, referring to you and I, he had joy knowing he was saving us, he endured the cross. Could you endure parenting with joy? I'm not talking about the lighthearted lies about how fun it is to be a parent told around a water cooler at work. I'm talking about taking joy and suffering while working with your toddler who's throwing a tantrum. It's in those moments I appreciate Jesus' love for me even more.
2: But then Paul makes it relational for me. In verse three, he says, consider him who endured from sinners, from sinners. Why should I consider this? because the same kind of thing is happening to you and I, and we need strength from Jesus. We need to consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that we don't grow weary and faint-hearted. We all love our kids, and we probably realize that they're sinners too. We wear their sin, their disobedience, often as hostility towards our authority as mom or dad. Ask any parent, it's normal to experience stress and suffering and over time, it can feel almost intolerable. Hebrews is warning us, losing heart is a spiritual danger. These Christians were in that danger, as are many of you.
1: Now, I don't find verse 4 very inspiring when I'm suffering as a parent, but it is still true. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. We know from Hebrews ten thirty four that Paul was addressing people who'd been imprisoned There's all kinds of hostility and suffering, and we feel this ourselves as parents, but no one's died, at least not yet. Things are bad, but not as bad as they could be. And that's a truth as parents that we generally overlook as we shift into neutral out of frustration. But this is where things take a turn. Verse five says that one of the reasons you're growing weary and losing heart is that you've forgotten who and why you're being addressed as God's son. Verse 6 says, My son, don't regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives. We see the same message in Proverbs 3, verses 11 and 12. It says, My son, don't despise the Lord's discipline, or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. In other words, The people who wear you down, who push you to the limit, the push your buttons, they're motivated by their own sin. But God, God is bringing loving change through fatherly discipline. Now, the analogy that comes to mind for me is a medical one. When I was 24 years old, I was brutally beaten and mugged by five people looking to buy drugs. They needed money. I had a mere $6. That's all they got. I ended up in the ED where they stitched my face back closed and these five people moved on and 15 minutes later, they stabbed the drug dealer with a knife because they didn't have enough money to buy the drugs, So they stole them. Ironically, both me and the drug dealer end up in the exact same ED and a key point. I want to make sure you get here is that God is not coming late to the scene after some sinful attack and saying, Oh, I can, I can turn this for good and calling that discipline. That's restoration. But maybe God used this situation as discipline in the drug dealer's life. I honestly don't know. But in my life, I was not in sin. I was a victim of someone else's sin. Now, with that in mind, I tell you another story. Just a few weeks ago, I had gallstones. Some of you listening have experienced this kind of terrible pain. So we wound up at the hospital again, this time for surgery. Now, the hardship and discipline that I'm contrasting here are about as different as the surgeon who plans that incision for my good and the emergency room doctor who stitches me up after being attacked. The surgeon is making pain as they complete a procedure that's 100% for my betterment. The ED doc, well, they're helping you to be restored. The reason you're at the hospital wasn't planned. You're not there enduring pain because of your doctor's doing. And I use this analogy because God is often playing the role of both doctors in my life. One hand, bringing change and discipline that's painful but necessary. And with the other hand, helping me to be mended after sin has brought pain and sorrow.
2: A significant problem we endure as immature believers is that we just feel the pain. We feel the sorrow, but we don't consider where it's coming from or why. Who's doing this? Who's in charge of this? The first answer to this question might be found in verse 3. Consider him who endured such hostility by sinners. This is what Jesus endured. It was our sins that put him on the cross. And as parents, our suffering is often from the will of people in sin, our kids. But as I read this passage, I realize another answer to the question, where does this suffering come from? Who's doing this? Who's in charge? The answer is that God is in charge here and that he uses afflictions to bring about change.
1: These afflictions are in fact the loving discipline of a perfect father disciplining us like a doctor planning and then performing a needed surgery for our good. Again, these passages are not saying that God hangs back while the sin of people near to you drag you down and then finally steps in to be the hero who turns all this evil for good. He's saying we have to have eyes to see where we are called to be like Jesus. The sin of others will have a cost to you. Yes, but God uses us as believers, specifically our response to suffering, as a way to teach that sinner about a Jesus who loves them. As a young dad, I realized at a certain point when my son was about two and a half years old that I was getting resentful of his reoccurring disobedience. I was disciplining him, but I had become aware of how mechanical I was making it. That process was something that God enabled me to work through do understand my own need for a new process? And that process was first discipline, repentance, and then forgiveness. In verse 3, we're called to mimic Jesus, called to joyfully suffer with a love that is for their sake. For the sake of showing God's love, we withhold our wrath and we forgive. Verse 6 is saying, the people the Lord loves, he disciplines. Our pain is not the effect of God's hate, but of God's love. As parents, we understand that goal, but as God's children in suffering, we often forget it.
2: So let's dig on. Hebrews says the sin of people in our life will bring suffering, but the main suffering this passage is calling out is God's discipline of us. I believe discipline exists to bring repentance. Let me explain. Discipline like God shows us isn't mechanical. It has to be personal or else it's ineffective. When we sin, there are often consequences. We try to dodge, but usually endure. We're irresponsible with our money, so we get calls from the debt collectors. and We have a hard time getting future loans. Discipline is prescribed. It's done with an eye on what will change the heart from rock hard to soft and moldable. It's not legalism, though. It's a passionate heart for you, knowing that hardship is the only thing that will show you the end of your sin. This is what we need. It's what our teenagers need a discipline custom made with a firm and unyielding love.
1: It's a hardship and a suffering that God is teaching us and correcting us and transforming us through. I'll never forget my brother Jim at about 14 years old doing something wrong and being spanked for it, only to turn around and defiantly say to my mom, that didn't hurt. Discipline is painful enough that repentance is a result or it doesn't matter. When discipline is handled with this grin and bear it sort of attitude, it only reveals a defiant heart. In other words, in our pain, we're not being treated as a slave or an enemy. We're being treated as a loving child of God. We're being treated as a loved child of God. The issue becomes, will you believe this? Will you let the word of God settle the issue for you so that when suffering comes, you don't turn against God, but rather to God? Hebrews twelve eleven makes the same point. It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. In other words, this feels like hardship and sorrow have got the upper hand, but if you submit your will to God, it's only going to be for a season. Discipline leads to repentance, a recognition and confession of wrong, which then enables forgiveness. This is a cycle for our good, our holiness, our peace, our righteousness. This is the design of our loving father that comes to us painfully at a time to bring necessary change. It pains me to say this, but in America, we've created several generations of single parents inside homes with a mom and dad who are married. I'm talking to the husband or the wife who disciplines out of rage. They simply can't control their wrath. Their spouse is constantly trying to put the dampener on things. You know you lose control, so you've got this agreement between you as parents that you're going to disengage in those heated moments. I want to talk to the parent who's burned out and gotten lazy. You no longer internalize the fact that God has entrusted the Christian influencers of the future to you. Discipline your kids is hard work. I know disciplining your kids creates as much hardship, if not more for you, as it does for your child that you're trying to teach. But verse seven asks this question. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined, you're not legitimate. In other words, you're abandoned. Without discipline, the results are kids that run in rebellion. These are the kids which feel worthless. Sure, they have freedom from you today, but the neglect will haunt them for years to come. These are the parents who justify a weak response because of how strong willed their kids are. Well, guess what? God knows our wills are hard to break. It runs in our kids as much as it does in our own hearts. Go read the old Testament. You'll find that God is willing to raise his discipline to whatever level is required to bring us back, to get our attention. I wanna speak plainly to you as a parent. Do you struggle with anger? Is your spouse struggling with having to cover for your anger? Don't remain defiant to discipline. Show God that his discipline has brought you to repentance. I want to ask you to repent of your sin for neglecting your role to the Lord and to your spouse. Confessing your sins to one another within the body of Christ can break the power of secret sin. Covering up that sin leaves you stuck until you can no longer cover up all of the negative consequences coming out of your life and your kids' life. King David said it this way, When I refused to confess my sin, my body wasted away. I groaned all day long. Day and night, your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is gone. That's in Psalm 32. It's a great read. In closing, God's discipline enables self-discipline to empower a discipline of our kids without wrath. Let me say that again. God's discipline enables self-discipline to empower a discipline of our kids without wrath. Today we can wipe the slate clean for each of our children. And it starts with you forgiving their past. Can you consider all the things you're holding a grudge against each of your kids for and then go and forgive them? No holdouts. Don't wait for them to ask. And then after you've forgiven the hurt they have created in the past, then go read James 5.16. It tells us what to do when we sin against one another. It says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you can be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I'm challenging you to go to your kids. I don't care how old or how young they are and confess your sin of built up anger. Seek forgiveness for how that has impacted them as your child. You've disciplined in anger. You've shouted, you've screamed, you've left disunity you've not obeyed god's word ask for their forgiveness they'll probably give it to you right there on the spot but if not let this be a continued plea i'm challenging you to discipline the future like god does with a big picture view of what your kids needs are not with rage and wrath for how they've offended you but with a willingness to bring the pain of a surgeon something that is for their good You know it's going to hurt them in the short term, but it is for their long-term good. You know it will result in long-term holiness, in long-term peace, and in long-term righteousness. After you've given enough discipline to bring your child to repentance, teach them the biblical motto to seek forgiveness. Show them how asking for forgiveness in a very specific and genuine way, that's their next level of responsibility. And finally, be the person who forgives embrace them show them how doing it God's way can result in unity with your kids over and over and over again in our house we pray together thanking God for his love for his grace for the sweet freedom from sin because that's the outcome and parent I want to tell you that rage monster reaction it goes away you'll see a heart of a child in change and the cycle spins the opposite way from what you've been seeing for years. No longer will you have pent-up anger, but a soft, tender heart for your child's weaknesses. Not as someone looking on your kids with hopelessness, but rather someone seeing we are on mission as parents in their life.
0: Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.